Welcome to Crypto Talks, the podcast that features the early adopters of the blockchain and cryptocurrency world. It's me, Annie Alexander, and I will uncover the stories of the humans behind the crypto and introduce you to new and exciting blockchain projects. Are you ready for the journey down the rabbit hole? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Crypto Talks podcast. I'm super excited about the fact that Andreas Antonopoulos is with us today. And uh, I assure you, uh, Andreas, when I uh, told about this happening a few days ago on socials, everyone told that it's probably you're you're probably one of the best guests that I ever had. Um, And everyone was very excited to watch this. So welcome to the show. And thanks for agreeing to to come over. Uh, Thank you so much for the warm welcome. So and I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only person many people I spoke to told that their journey into crypto and blockchain uh, and the fall down the rabbit hole started from your books and your videos and your educational content. Uh, and I think it's because... Uh, Although it explains everything and at the end people understand and grasp the fundamentals, it's done in a very simple uh, way and like non-technical person, people like me are, are grasping it very easily. So do you, um, what's, what was the motivation behind everything? When, when you discovered uh, Bitcoin, it probably started from Bitcoin, right? Your yes. discovery. Yeah, I, I read about Bitcoin um, and I, I remember reading about it pretty early on, sometime in 2011, and then completely dismissing it because it was related to a gambling site and I wasn't interested and I didn't understand what it was. Um, mm-hmm. So very skeptical, dismissed it at first. I think a lot of people have that experience. And then in 2012, I read about it again. And this time there was an article that had a link to the white paper and I clicked on the link, read the white paper and derailed my life. Um, just completely off the rails. Um, so far down the rabbit hole, I spent the next four months doing nothing but um, reading, writing, coding, uh, and discussing Bitcoin um, 16 hours a day or more. Um, and it just became an obsession. Uh, I'm a geek. I've been a geek since I first got my computer in uh, when I was 10 years old. And uh, I've ha- always had a fascination with technology, it excites me and my enthusiasm sometimes turns into obsessions. And I've learned over the years, um, when I get these obsessive moments to pay attention to this intuition, to see, I, when I felt obsessed about, um, things like the internet or, um, the web, uh, turns out my obsession was correct and much sooner than, than others. So I learned to pay attention to it. So when I got the same feeling, this time I decided to pay strong attention to it. Now, I'm, I'm a coder. I, I do write code and I've been programming since I was 10 years old, but it's never been my job. I don't mm-hmm. want it to be my job. It's my hobby. Um, and uh, I, I've worked in information security. I've done a lot of consulting and things like that. And I, I discovered early on that one of the things I could do is explain things in simple terms and teach. And I love teaching. Mm-hmm. So when mm-hmm. I entered Bitcoin, I looked around and I saw, you know, I mean, this this space, um, e- even back then, uh, 
some of the most incredibly skilled cryptographers, mathematicians, and programmers the world's uh, around. And, you know, it's not, not an area that I, I have a lot of things to add with that level of skill. But there wasn't anyone teaching, and there wasn't mm-hmm. anyone explaining in simple terms. So I decided to focus on what I do best, um, and that's what I started and decided to write a book, which at the time was just ridiculously audacious. I'd never written a book before. I set my sights very high and it was incredibly vulnerable and terrifying to have to deliver on that promise. Um, And the rest is history. It was um, a a great book. I think it had the right balance between, you know, how much one had to know from the very start not to get overwhelmed and, and also how much it should be in order to, to cover the basics and understand the fundamentals. So, uh, now that we know each other, I think next time you get obsessed about something, I would really love to learn what it would be <laughs> since you seem to be predicting things very well. Uh, I would be very curious. Um, so, in the beginning, you know, we were talking about this before the recording that, uh, before the live stream that, uh, actually, um, the first years, um, and the first kind of, you know, when you just started giving God speeches and, and, and also educating about Bitcoin, there weren't many people who were interested or knew about it. It wasn't really like a big audience that gathered. There wasn't this initial sort of, you know, attention that everyone is getting at the moment. And it was very different. What kept you motivated uh, to, to carry on and to actually, you know, not get discouraged and, and believe in the whole thing? Well, so, so my, my enthusiasm was not geared um, by anyone paying attention to what I had to say. Um, my enthusiasm came from within. Uh, just mm-hmm. as a geek, I was uh, fascinated by this technology and I wanted to share that um, because uh, you co- I couldn't stop talking about it and thinking about it and trying to explain that enthusiasm to other people around me. And I, I've had, as I said, I've had that experience before and um, I trusted my instinct. I trusted that this was a, a very important historical moment in the development of money, in distributed systems, in computer uh, technology, and in the internet. And uh, so I just ran with it. It didn't matter if there were one person listening or 10 or, or five. Um, and you'll see some of my early videos are very poor video production, very bad sound. Um, but a mm-hmm. hundred percent enthusiasm for me because it didn't matter how many people were in the room or if anyone was in the room. Um, that, that enthusiasm was still there. And it, it wasn't about persuading other people. I didn't feel the need to persuade other people. Um, what I wanted was them to feel the enthusiasm that I felt because mm-hmm. enthusiasm like that is contagious, right? Uh, I Absolutely. wanted them to see yes. what I was seeing. Um, and not because I wanted them to buy any or um, invest or anything like that. I mean, I never talk about the price. I never talk about investment. Um, I talk about the technology and that simple and pure enthusiasm for the technology is is one of the things that has defined my life and my personality, and I, I, I will always want to share that. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Like, you know, you're uh, from the very few people who are um, intentionally avoiding price stocks and 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 token promotions and, uh, you know, talking about specific um, projects as individual projects, but you're talking more about the industry, about the technology behind it and about the whole paradigm shift and all these changes that it's bringing to people's lives and, and what, what it uh, changes as a result result um so i totally agree with you which kind of led me uh <laughs> leads me to the question about uh all these crypto influencers who are actually doing all these things that you're not doing in on principle um i i know that um uh, they do actually uh have audiences that get influenced and impacted by what they say and most of them uh, are probably not so responsible about how they treat this audience and what do they do on their social accounts how do you feel about them like do you think it's it's somehow damaging the you know, the perception about the interest industry for the newcomers or, you know, what do you think about this whole concept of these crypto influencers on Twitter, YouTube and so on? Well, I mean, there, there's always that that's just human nature. And um, it's much easier to uh, persuade people with a promise of um, instantaneous riches and things like that than it is to get people excited in an obscure technology and kind of the, the social, political implications that technology has and to discuss things that may, may take um, years or decades to evolve and develop uh, and to have that clarity of vision. Um, I, I don't think it makes any difference um, to the industry as a whole. Um, I don't go looking. Um, I don't go looking to find what my audience wants to listen to, and then say that so that I can appeal to a specific audience. I do the exact opposite. I say what I want to say, and trust that in the era of the internet, the audience will find. Um, my voice. And I think that's one of the wonderful things that the internet has done. And no matter how obscure or narrow or um, specific your interest or your niche is, um, if you speak with, with, with conviction, with, with passion, with authenticity, uh, people will, who, people who really want to hear just that will find it. And when they find it, they will pay attention to it. And that's how I built my audience. And I, I don't care if, um, some influencer has a, an audience that is 10 times mine. Um, I don't. What I care about is how do I feel about the work that I'm doing? Does it, does it give me satisfaction? Does it, does it, um, align with my, with my principles, with my interests, with the things that make me, um, happy and excited to get up every morning? Um, and, you know, there, there's a saying that, um, there, there's no, uh, person who is, um, as poor as only having money. Uh, that is, yeah. the, that is a poverty of spirit. And if all you have is money, um, you are poor in every aspect of life. And I've been really fortunate to find, uh, a rich experience, uh, a community, uh, connection mm -hmm. 
and a passion for the things that I enjoy doing. Uh, and that matters much more than whether I have a big audience or whether I'm promising people um, monetary riches. It just doesn't interest me. And it doesn't surprise me that, you know, as a result, you get a way more passionate and dedicated and loyal uh, community behind you. Because look at this. People are saying that they absolutely love you and you're basically their uh, first and only crush ever. So, you know, this no. just <laughs> this yeah. basically Thank proves you, the point. Thank you, Daniel. Um, that's, that's very kind of you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, what about, uh, you know, the technology obviously fascinated you and you got obsessed by it. Uh, uh, what exactly, which part of it, like what exactly kind of hooked you up? What we, when, when you are actually explaining the whole technology, which are the things that it brings that are, um, you, you're absolutely excited about? So the same things that I saw in the early internet, which was um, the ability to change the way society works and to give more opportunities um, for people to um, have power over their own uh, destiny, over their own future. And not, not because of, of money per se, um, but because I see this as a mechanism for expression, mm -hmm. for engagement, for community, for building society. The problem with centralized systems, whether it's centralized media, centralized communication, um, centralized governments, etc., is that they basically leave out uh, billions of people um, who seem not important enough to pay attention to. And so I see technology as, um, as a mechanism for advancing civilization. I have a progressive perspective. Uh, I think, th th to me, there is no glorious past where things were um, idyllic uh, and wonderful. Um, I, I, I see the a progress into the future by improving the human condition and technology plays a huge role in that. So when I see a technology that enables us to um, create a world where everyone can participate in the global economy, um, where um, people can um, get opportunity, that's really, really important to me. I've been driven my whole life from a perspective of uh, understanding that the world is not a just and fair place, um, mm -hmm. that there yeah. is um, no guiding um, power per se, and that we need to, as as people to recognize that a lot of what happens in our lives happens purely by chance. Um, I'm almost haunted by the idea that somewhere else uh, in some other continent or some other country, a kid just like me was born um, who was just as, uh, motivated and hardworking or whatever as me and, um, you know, died from an infectious disease at age three that could have easily been prevented or ended up working in a, in a mine, um, under conditions of slavery. You know, that idea that, that, um, but for a moment of chance, uh, and being born into an educated mm -hmm. middle class, um, family at the time that I was born, um, everything else is not me. And, and that drives me. The, the idea that, 
Um, there is so much wasted human potential um, because our societies are structured uh, in the way they are. And how can mm-hmm. we improve that? It, it's a it's a political perspective. It's it's about justice. It's about opportunity. It's not just about the economics of this thing. Uh, yeah, no, I totally agree with you because I think that, you know, if it was only about economics, it wouldn't do as it does at the moment. And, you know, the communities wouldn't have so many other layers to it apart from the economic uh, motivation behind it. You know, the, there are loads of strong communities that are doing things, uh, not for the money specifically, but also for, for uh, many other reasons that are way uh, more important. Um, and talking about the communities, I have a feeling that, um very often we see these uh, separate communities that are um that are protecting and kind of uh, promoting and believing in a certain blockchain and um like bitcoin maximalists ethereum maximalists etc and very often you know sometimes things get really heated and and they even argue with each other uh do you think like is there is this the right way to look at it like are are we talking about different blockchains separately or we're talking about the technology that you know brings all these things that you were explaining like because it's it's still the same blockchain and it has all these similar principles behind it right uh or or what do you think about this well i mean it's probably to no one's surprise that i'm i'm not a maximalist in in any way um, but that doesn't mean that I won't passionately advocate for the principles that I believe in. And so for me, the, the question is not um, one brand versus another or even one community versus another. It is um, which system best allows us to uh, achieve the goals and principles. And, um, and no system is perfect. Uh, no technology is perfect and no technology is static in time. These things change mm-hmm. all the time and innovation feeds uh, many different angles. And what I think is best is not um, necessarily what somebody else thinks is best. Uh, I don't have the same needs and the same uh, problems to solve um, as people may have in, in another country, right? You know, the, the use of blockchain in um, in Kansas is very different from the use of blockchain in Caracas. Um, and we, we need to recognize that we don't have all of the answers. From my perspective, I have a simple acronym that I use to remember what are the principles that made me excited about Bitcoin in the first place. And that's the acronym RIPCORD, um, just like the thing you pull in your parachute. Um, now, if you're going to jump out of a plane, make sure your RIPCORD works. And so... What does ripcord mean? Uh, it's a series of questions I ask to see if something has value and if it promotes the principles I care about. Is mm-hmm. it revolutionary? Is it immutable? Is it public? Is it collaborative? Is it open? Uh, is it resistant to censorship? And is it decentralized? And those are not just criteria. They are the reasons why Bitcoin is special. Not because it's Bitcoin, but because it has these principles. Mm-hmm. If it didn't have these principles anymore, then it wouldn't be special anymore. And so if you ask me why is Bitcoin special, it's because of these principles. And, and you can decide for yourself. And these are the questions you should ask. Is this other blockchain interesting to me? Well, 
is a revolutionary, immutable, public, collaborative, open, resistant, and decentralized? And the answer is not yes or no. It's some aspects yes, some no, some more, some less. It's a multidimensional problem. Um, so that's what I care about. And in that perspective, it's important to debate those principles. It's important to understand why we care about those principles. Um, but I think there's a fine line between debating those principles in good faith um, and a kind of tribal uh, response, which is part of human nature, right? Where people see my team, your team uh, as opponents. For me, the real struggle here is between technologies that enable societies to develop decentralized governance and um, empower individuals and allow for more self-determination, more expression, more freedom, mm -hmm. and technologies that don't or systems that don't that are centralized and authoritarian. Ultimately, the banking system, the government systems we have, the regulatory systems we have leave um, six and a half billion people out uh, mm -hmm. outside yep. of the world economy. That's the problem we're trying to solve. Um, and so bickering between uh, the differences in... If you really believe you can't solve that with some other blockchain, then don't use it. Um, but, but there's no point in bashing um, something that you don't want to use. Really mm -hmm. pay attention to what is JP Morgan Chase doing? What is Goldman Sachs doing? What is HSBC doing? What is Barclays doing? Um, what are the governments and the authoritarian systems doing? What are the regulators doing? What they're doing is mass surveillance, authoritarianism, um, control, and um, inequality. That's the problem we're trying to solve. The rest is distraction. Okay. Yeah, I totally get it. I've heard, I don't know if it's true, and you know, you're, you're, you're the one who's going to confirm or, or deny this, uh, that you managed to, to shape your life in a way that you're completely out of the fiat system and you're, uh, you're living on and you're, you're earning and you're spending, uh, cryptocurrency only, uh, that's, in your daily life. That's not the case. No, that's not the case. No. Um, I use, um, cryptocurrency, primarily Bitcoin, um, although occasionally others too. Um, I use them in my businesses and in my own personal life. I use it as my savings. I use it as my investment. Um, but I also use it to pay my payroll for contractors that live all around the world and employees that live all around the world. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I pay my company expenses. I earn it through my work. Um, but it's, it's probably... A, 50%, um, sometimes more, sometimes less, of mm -hmm. my financial activity. And the other 50% is uh, dollars and euros and um, uh, other fiat currencies. And I have bank accounts and credit cards. And I'm, I'm not going to go out and honestly, in some cases, I, I would be reluctant to go buy a plane ticket or a hotel room or something like that um with with bitcoin i would rather spend the dollars faster and the euros that i earn because mm -hmm. from a financial perspective they make for very poor store value and long-term investment and i would rather save and invest my cryptocurrency so um yeah, I, okay. I believe in diversification. I'm not going to go and out of an ideological principle um, make it impossible for me to function in a world that has not yet transitioned fully. 
Um, and so, and, and that's, that's okay. Uh, fiat will coexist with cryptocurrency for many, many years to come. And, uh, and that's the world we live in. I'm very pragmatic about it. Okay, got it. Uh, I mean, you started, you discovered and got obsessed with, uh, with blockchain, uh, back in 2013, you said. And, and, you know, since then, loads of things have developed. Fortunately, there have been loads of progress, both in, in terms of, uh, awareness, in terms of interest from people's side, and also in terms of the technology itself has developed and loads of new things have come into place. So, uh, which from, um, which developments, uh, have been the ones that you were very happy about like which parts of the blockchain development during those years brought uh, the most excitement for you um i i think you can you can see that by the types of books that i write um so i'm currently writing my sixth book which is mastering the lightning network um Mm -hmm. and after mastering bitcoin i wrote mastering ethereum Ethereum, yeah. Um, so, in order of development, um, I was and I am still very, very focused on Bitcoin. Uh, it is still the most important system. Uh, it is the one I spend the vast majority of my time on. Um, but I'm also interested in and worked on and did my research on Ethereum. And I think it became a very important technology platform. Again, I'm not talking about investments. I'm talking about technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and now I'm working on the Lightning Network, which I think, uh, together with other Layer 2 uh, networks, um, allows us to uh, have robust um, store value and mm-hmm. very, very fast uh, microtransactions and fast payments so I really, I really appreciate those technologies. The other area that I've done a lot of work in that I'm fascinated by is the developments in privacy. Um, specifically the development of an entire area of research called zero knowledge proofs and mm-hmm. the things that that has enabled. I think we currently live in the second golden age of cryptography. The first golden age of cryptography was the 70s um, and 80s with the development of public key cryptography and the battles um, to keep that technology free and open. Um, and because of Bitcoin and the development of cryptocurrency and the funding that that's brought, we now live in a, the second golden age of cryptography. So the, um, the research, the science is moving so fast um, and has such immediate application in these networks that we're seeing some incredible developments for privacy, and I'm very excited about that. That's interesting. I mean, uh, it feels like that the the most hopped and hyped topics at the moment in 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 this sphere are the DeFi and NFTs. You didn't mention them. Uh, what's your opinion about? Do you think they are like uh, I don't know um, too hyped oh, at did, the moment? Or I did mention them. Um, that's why I was interested in. Ethereum, it's because as a platform, it allows us to develop things like DeFi and NFTs. And it allows us to create composable applications where you take components from different smart contracts and and mash them up in new and interesting combinations that create new things. So um, DeFi and NFTs are not two different spaces. Um, NFTs are DeFi. 
Um, and DeFi can be built with NFTs and NFTs can be built on NF on uh, DeFi platforms. And that's because um, the basic concept behind Ethereum, that of a virtual machine running in a blockchain and executing uh, smart contracts, basically executing small financial programs in a trusted and decentralized manner, um, enables us to do these things. And that's why I was excited in it. Um, so I see okay. these as natural evolutions of that technological uh, platform. I'm very okay. excited about NFTs. I'm very excited about DeFi. Again, not as an investment, but as a technology platform that is showing where we are headed uh, in the future. Yeah, it's I think it's... To, it's no, important to notice that in, in many of these things, the vision of where we can go with these technologies and the things that we're currently doing can diverge quite a lot, right? Mm -hmm. um, you can have a technology that is going to completely revolutionize startup financing in the form of ICOs and then watch it be completely abused by opportunists uh, promoting yeah. garbage. Those two are not mutually exclusive. Both of those things are true. Um, the long-term vision is revolutionary. The same thing for DeFi, the same thing for NFTs. Um, so if, if you focus on the technology and you focus on the long-term and you look at where this stuff is going and how it's evolving, you can see that this is going to have an enormous impact um, on how we do things in the future, even if at the moment the majority of activity is very frothy, very bubbly, very speculative, but that's necessary to evolve these technologies. You have to have that period of disruption occurring. And uh, of course, you have to be extremely careful if you're looking at this from an investment perspective. So when, yeah, yeah. when I talk Absolutely. about NFTs and DeFi, a lot of people get really upset because they're like, you're promoting these things um, as uh, a means for making money. And I'm not. Uh, that's not my interest in these things. Uh, I've never discussed them from that perspective. No, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. It's still early stages. It's it's bubbling, as you said, and you know there is there is a a period where you know experiments will be made, new discoveries will be made, and things will develop even further, and we'll get to a more mature stage, obviously. Uh, and in in terms of investment, yeah, we're we're not talking about the investment, but I think those are kind of you know these these developments lead to new ways of of uh you know the freedom and and getting back control and all that stuff that we were we have been talking about so there are like different new layers that people can um you know in the future get uh, a less risky way of uh, of using those tools hopefully and uh, it will bring even even more opportunities in and the there's, future there's nothing new to this i mean this is how technology has always developed um, mm -hmm. It has always included a very, very speculative and frothy period of time, which includes massive failures of these experiments where the vast majority of them fail. Um, but the few that survive show us how it's going to be developed in the future. You can see that with railroads, for example, um, the development of railroads uh, in Britain and then following that in the United States created uh, many of the modern stock market applications you saw and many of the regulations because the amount of speculation that happened and the bubbles that happened in railroads, in exploration of the West, in uh, the colonial mm -hmm. companies, the East India Company, 
um, you know, Dutch East India and the British East India Company, the, the, the development of electricity um, and all of the speculation and crazy crap that came out from opportunists trying to sell you electrical shocks for health treatments or whatever the hell they were doing back then and all of the speculation and, and failed investments. The automobile, every single modern technology we have seen goes through this process. Um, and that's okay. And we saw it again in the internet era. Um, as yeah. long as you understand that the vast majority are going to fail, but what that does is it shows us how not to do things so we can figure out how to do them right. Paves the path for the right it paves uh, the direction. Path for the right technology to develop. So if Absolutely. You, if you ignore the technology because you see its current applications failing, you're missing how this thing develops. Yeah, absolutely agree. Uh, how much do you think is the human factor in all this? Because I have a feeling that, you know, the things that you were talking about um, kind of are, are linked to, to the human nature of sorts. It's not so much like technology, but just a human behavior, human psychology, etc. right? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's all human behavior. The technology here is simply an expression of human behavior. Um, all of this technology is, is uh, you know, um, it's, it's uh, hairless apes trying to figure out um, how to organize societies that have scaled beyond uh, a tribal level. Um, and they're using tools and making tools. That's what we are. We're hairless apes that make tools. And <laughs> the technology itself um, is influenced uh, primarily by our human behavior and all of the bugs that we carry um, in our biological nature. Um, we have all of these cognitive biases, we have all of these blind spots, and, um, and they're inescapable. We cannot mm -hmm. work around them because they're the tool we use to work around them is the one that has the bugs. Um, that's okay. Uh, I think it's important when examining technology to understand human nature. And I think one of the reasons that I um, can explain things in a, in a simple way for my audience is, is because I'm so fascinated by human nature, by psychology, by sociology, by anthropology, mm -hmm. really, um, and try to reason, understand human nature, because you can't explain something unless you can... Uh, really understand um, how the audience perceives what you're trying to communicate. Um, all of this is human nature. And that human nature is is um, chaotic and um, surprising. And there's very little rational behavior going on. <laughs> yeah, um, true. So anytime someone says, well, you know, the market should behave this way, um, the market doesn't exist. What exists is... Um, hundreds of thousands of apes uh, acting um, based on instinct and then ex post facto rationalizing that instinct in order to persuade themselves that they're being logical. Uh, and if you understand that, markets become much more clear. Okay, makes sense. Well, I mean, um, I... We have to stick to half an hour, so we're wrapping this up. Um, as a, as a um, final question, um, what do you think, like, um, you know, following the progress so far and kind of seeing where where it goes and, and seeing all the failures and experiments and the boiling process, etc., um, 
what are your predictions for the, I mean, for the future? Like, uh, what do you see happening uh, at a higher level, of course? Like, what are you waiting for from this industry? Uh, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm very optimistic. And I'm optimistic um, because I cannot, cannot even predict what's going to happen over the next year, let alone years and decades into the future. Every time I think I finally have an understanding of this, something new pops up that was completely mm-hmm. unexpected, that comes completely out of this perspective or expectations of anyone, and that surprises us. And that's what keeps this interesting and amazing. Um, the fact that we are watching history. History is not what happened in the past. History is what is currently happening, and we all get to be a part of it and watch it unfold, not knowing where it's going, whether it's in the technology space where you're watching one thing after another, these surprising innovations that come out of nowhere Mm -hmm. and completely change um, the way things are developing. Um, But also, you know, human behavior, as we mentioned before, that completely surprises us. Um, The reason I'm uh, ultimately optimistic is because the pace uh, of development is accelerating um, mm-hmm. because I have enormous faith in uh, humanity and the human spirit um, because um, finally, because this isn't about what we've done. This is about what this technology has shown is possible. If a person perceive something as possible, um, it changes the way they behave forever. Um, because now they can start thinking about other things they can build on that possibility. If you don't know that something is possible, you can never think beyond that. What Bitcoin did, and what everything since then has done, is it's demonstrated in practice that something uh, that we didn't know was possible is possible. It is possible to create um, private money out of software in a wor- in a way that touches the entire world. It is possible to restructure governance and trust and society and communication and expression um, with these recipes in software um, that are not tangible. And once someone understands that possibility, you can't undo you can't stop that you can't take it back even if bitcoin collapsed tomorrow or catastrophically um uh failed as a technology we now know it's possible so it will just get done again and and better and and again and again and again and and further into the future so to me the the wonderful thing about um technology is that it shows us new possibilities that we hadn't mm-hmm. imagined before. And once that enters your brain, um, there's no going back. It's a paradigm shift. Yeah, it's a paradigm absolutely. Shift. And that's exactly what happened in, in 2009. And uh, the world will not be the same because of it. And so I'm just excited, like everybody else, to see what happens next. Yeah, I, I would like to thank you for all the work that you're doing, because I think what's very important, the way you explain things, actually, you uh, you teach people um, 
to think and to be able to analyze and and ask the right questions. We and later on do their own research and you know evaluate things for themselves and make their own decisions. But I think that fundamental approach of what to look at and which questions to ask and how to learn things and what to think about when you're coming up with the, all these new and unexpected uh, things um, around the topic is, is very, very important. And, and I think you empower people to basically get more knowledgeable and to be able to learn by themselves later on and to dig deeper wherever it's needed. So thank you very much for the great work you're doing for all of us to make this whole journey more comprehensive and, and, and smoother and, you know, and enjoying the roller coaster, right? because it, it feels like this uh, sometimes. So thank you very much. That's very, very kind of you to say, and uh, it warms my heart. I, I, I don't need any thanks because, um, trust me, I am having a ton of fun doing this. Um, I love doing this work, and it's, it's been a pleasure to have the opportunity to, to talk with you. And um, yes, thank you so much. This was the Crypto Talks podcast brought to you by Annie Alexander. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review. Thank you for listening and we'll meet you in the next episode.